This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatters? We wanted to take a second to thank each and every one of you for supporting us over the years. And if you didn't know... Over the past few months, Colin and I have transitioned to devoting 100% of our time and energy into digital wildcatters. So there's a lot of great things in the works, and without you guys, none of this would have been possible. So on that note, we're launching a ton of new shows and creating a lot more content. We're also on YouTube, so go subscribe to the channel on there if you can watch the video version of these episodes. We've recently relaunched that and a lot of other video content. So back to the podcast, this week we sat down with Imran and AJ from CSL Ventures. Uh, they dropped by the studio this week to chat chat about all things startup funding. CSL actually started off as a PE firm focused on oil field services, but they recently launched their venture capital arm led by these two guys. So we dive into how not all startups in this space are software related and how they're thinking about disrupting the venture capital space using their domain expertise. But really quickly, before we get into the episode, this episode is brought to you by our good buddies over at Well Database. If this is your first time hearing about them, Well Database is our go-to provider for all things oil and gas data. If you're messing with this kind of data, chances are you're probably also doing some sort of decline curve analysis. Well Database is now making that workflow super simple with their built-in decline curve analysis tool. Rather than find and export and import into Aries or a PhD Win, you can do it instantly right there in Well Database. So that means if you're looking through deals, you can do your analysis probably at least like 10 times faster. If you want to see what the decline over EUR for, say, Conoco in the Bakken versus the Eagleford, boom, you can do that too. And probably one of the coolest features that you can do a quote-unquote best fit curve, so it'll figure it out if it should be exponential, hyperbolic, modified ARPs, etc. And I'll tell you how good that fit actually is. So once again, the guys over Well Database are building in a ton more functionality into their platform at no additional cost outside of your normal subscription. Well Database plans range from free for well-level data all the way up to $1,000 per month per user for their professional package. So go check them out at welldatabase.com and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We are joined with two friends, uh, one who we've known for the last, I guess, three years or so, and then Imran, who also works with, with AJ. Um, welcome. <laughs> it's been, it's been, I, 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 we've tried to get you on the show for at least, uh, I don't know, like ever since the beginning. And we finally made it happen. You're a busy guy. You're traveling all over the place. Uh, you've done a lot of things. You're very, very involved in the startup ecosystem. And I kind of forgot how involved you were until three seconds ago. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, stalking you. And I was like, it was like advisor, Corva, advisor here. Advi-. I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's an advisor to everybody. So I might need to get you an advisor to be a digital walker. So, um, <laughs> Apparently we have been, you know. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, we were just talking about how long we've known you. It was, you know, almost three years ago at we were at Galleria and AJ had reached out to me and uh, AJ was uh, you were was it Slumberjay? I was at PwC back oh, then. Oh okay yes. yeah so he was uh, he's like hey he's like we have two things in common we both ran wireline and we both like tacos and I was like cool man let's get together <laughs> and, and you know we've been friends ever since so excited to have you guys on the podcast today uh, does one of you one of you want to tell us about what CSL Ventures is real quick and we can dive into it? No, absolutely. Uh, Jay Collin, uh, again, uh, thank you for, for having us here. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I am one of the biggest followers and fans of, of what you guys are doing, and, and congratulations on, on where you have 
uh, you know, you. come from where you were. Uh, I mean, it's really uh, nice, man. Yeah, you, you've kind of seen the evolution, you know, from from <laughs> we early had, days. We had no clue right we were doing <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think uh, creating a platform like this, where uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs and startups can can speak their mind out, and you, the best thing is you guys yourself, you know, are on entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. so you can relate to them uh, so again congratulations on what what uh, yeah, wildcat has and both of you have achieved thanks man um, so uh, Imran and myself uh, you know uh, are part of CSL ventures uh, you know uh, Imran's leading <clears throat> the effort I'm part of his team uh, CSL ventures is the venture capital arm of the parent private equity firm uh, CSL capital management okay uh, our focus is on uh, investing in early stage technology companies Um and uh, you know, we are not taking controlling positions. We're taking minority positions in these companies, um, and I, I can go into the further details. But that's at a very high level. Um, I mean, unless you want me to kind of speak on it right so now. If I remember correctly, CSL Ventures pretty much it, it's like a startup within within the Big Daddy CSL, right? Like you guys just launched that like a couple of years ago, right? Uh, or has we, it been around for a while and I just didn't know about it? Yeah, so just taking a step back, CSL Capital Management has been around for 12 years. Okay. Uh, we manage just under $2 billion. And historically, what we've done is uh, made controlling investments mm-hmm. and growth investments in energy services and equipment companies. So we had been incubating the idea of uh, CSL Ventures for almost two years, uh, but we, we went public with the announcement uh, in August last year. Okay. So, so Imran, so were you, you were th- with CSL Capital Management before, and then you, he said you were leading the effort. Were you the one who decided, hey, like we should really start like a venture arm of CSL. There's a whole lot of opportunities here. How did that kind of come to be? So uh, I think it's worthwhile just stepping back a little bit. So just going back on CSL Capital Management, we've been around for 12 years. We're a sector focused mm-hmm. private equity firm. And as Abhinav said, we've uh, we've been around for 12 years and have invested just under $2 billion, mainly on the services and equipment mm-hmm. side. I think about two plus years ago, Charlie, who's a founding member of CSL, felt strongly that technology would play a more critical role in energy in the industrial space. And because of that, he started assembling a team which was more technology focused. So he, he hired a gentleman called Vasuguru Swami who's heavily focused on the software uh, technology side, IT side, digital side. And uh, Vasu came on board in CSL towards the end of 2017, early 18, and I joined the firm in summer of 18. And we started incubating this concept of doing something around technology and ventures, and we started going out and talking to entrepreneurs. Um, And over that, let's say, 12-month time frame, then we were incubating this internally, we probably saw, I would say, close to 150 to 200 startups in that in that time. Wow, frame. that's a lot of companies. That's a lot of companies. <laughs> and then we went public in August of last year, uh, essentially when we got an agreement from our fund three investors to go and seed the first round of investments towards the second half of 2019. So officially we went public in August of 2019 once our, our fund three advisory group said, absolutely, let's get on board uh, with this concept, and then we move forward from there. Cool. And the core team is is Abhinav, myself, and Vasu, and then we leverage the broader CSL investment team as and when needed. Yeah. So let's dive into y'all's backgrounds a little bit um, as individuals. Uh, Imran, if you want to tell us you know, about yourself before you went to CSL, you know, what was your, your background coming in, and then Abhinav will, will get you after. 
Absolutely. So I went to school on the West Coast, got my bachelor's uh, in engineering and applied science from Caltech, and then a master's from there as well in mechanical engineering. Joined Schlumberger, spent probably close to three decades with them, uh, working both in the operations side. So you mentioned your background yeah. uh, being wireline. <laughs> so I started in wireline and testing. Man, we got a lot of wireline hands in here today, huh? This is probably the most in, the most we'll ever have in one room. Are you getting left out here? <laughs> we got to get Jake Somebody on a wireline truck. <laughs> Coach me up on wireline real quick. So, so I don't know which wireline company you started with, but uh, basically I, I started in the field, uh, worked internationally and domestically, spent about 20 years in operations. Then I went to the dark side. <laughs> and went to finance, and I was basically the corporate controller for, for Schlumberger, then did M&A for them for a while, Treasure, and then was managing the corporate venture capital portfolio and also raising okay. money for the SPM business, which is a production business. Did that for about a year and a half, two years, left Schlumberger about nearly two and a half years ago. Okay. Um, got connected up with Charlie through a gentleman called Andrew Gould, who's the chairman and CEO of, of Schlumberger, um, who I've known since 94, I think. Yeah. Um, and... Charlie has built a great team. Um, I'm, I'm sure that was a big jump for you, working for Schlumberger for 30 years, and then you know taking a leap and, and going out and taking this position with CSL. You know how how did that feel? I, th- I think it was. A, I mean, Charlie is a great uh, leader, um, yeah. and I think he's given me a lot of autonomy and room to 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 maneuver and play. And I've enjoyed the last two years absolutely. Yeah. Um, was it a big change? Yes, it was a big change. But when I was leaving Schlumberger, I knew I wanted to go into the venture capital private equity space. Um, it was really who to partner up with. And because Charlie's built an incredible team of, of people and and people that I've respected and worked with for many years. So it was kind of a no-brainer decision for me. Yeah, what made you want to go into venture capital? I mean, were you were you intrigued by the technologies that were out there and finding those early you know early stage opportunities or what really kind of drew you to venture capital i think it's two things one one is my interest in technology broadly speaking Mm -hmm. um, from my college days all the way through schlumberger so i've worked heavily on the technology side um, on both product development r d both in research and engineering so i have a passion for technology in general and inquisitive nature by if you want overall and then my big interest was really building companies. So how do we find the right management teams, the right entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that we want to back and, and then work with them and be good custodians with them and partner with them? Obviously, we'll bring capital. We'll very importantly bring our experience and knowledge from an operational technology development perspective. And one of the common things we tell entrepreneurs is if you're just looking for capital, then we are probably not just... We're not the right partners. Yeah, and we'll dive if in. You're looking for capital and something else, and you want partners who are going to work with you and get into the trenches with you, then we're the right partners. For you. Mm. Yeah, we'll dive into that some. I think you know when we had Cottonwood Ventures on the other day, we talked about that that money is a commodity, right? And you can get money anywhere, but sometimes you got to look for what additional value can a capital provider uh, give you. So we'll we'll dive into that sure. in a little bit. AJ, let's dive into your story a little bit. You know, what's your background? Obviously, we've we've established that you did wireline, so <laughs> we you, get you, it. You guys you, like wireline? You, <laughs> just thought Jake knows. This is a smart room right here. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I started in the energy sector uh, almost 11 years back. Uh, I consider myself a second-generation oilman. I mean, no one else would consider myself a second-generation oilman, but I, I, my dad uh, spent 40 years with the National Oil Company of India, ONGC. 
Uh, so I grew up around the oil and gas patch, uh, saw the kind of projects and, you know, uh, his lifestyle, things he used to work on. So that really excited me. Uh, I'm also an engineer. Uh, after completing my undergrad in India, my first job took me to Norway in the North Sea shooting seismic. Mm. So I was on the seismic boats for almost 18 months. Uh, then, uh, as I say, uh, life took a 180 degree turn. I uh, got an offer to join Schlumberger Wireline uh, in Midland, Texas. So from <laughs> North Sea uh, seismic boats to Midland uh, on, on the Wireline side. That's quite, a, quite, quite that's a, a bit hell of a uh, 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 environment change. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a funny side story is uh, a lot of roughnecks couldn't pronounce my name. So they're like, just, we'll just call you AJ. And that's how the or, origin of AJ uh, came yeah, about. Yeah, it's so funny because I remember you telling me that, you know, I, I flip back, you know, sometimes I click, I think even in this podcast, I've referred to you as AJ and Abhinav. And I'm from Midland, so I'm like, Abhinav's not that hard to say. I don't know why people can't say <laughs> Mexican names are a lot harder to say than that. So <laughs> if you call me Abhinav, probably won't even look at you. It's like, uh, who are you speaking <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, uh, you know, uh, then then uh, after joining Schlumberger, uh, you know, uh, focus mostly on the lower 48s, work everywhere from uh, Bakken uh, to, uh, you know, uh, in the Williston uh, area, to Bakersfield, to Midcon, was in Canada for some time, Gulf of Mexico, spent five years in the field. Uh, this is 2014, oil was still up north of 100. Uh, I wanted to pivot towards the finance side of energy sector. So decided to pursue a full-time MBA at the University of Texas at Austin, mm-hmm. uh, spent a couple of semesters abroad uh, in UK at London Business School. Uh, and that kind of really laid the foundation for, for pivoting to energy finance. Worked with ConocoPhillips in their deep water appraisal team, uh, Lazard in their oil and gas investment banking group, and then PwC in their corporate finance practice, focusing on M&A, capital raise uh, for services and startups. Uh, did investment banking uh, for almost three years, left my job in early 2018. And that's when I cut my teeth in the energy and industrial tech ecosystem. Yeah. Started working in the capacity of an advisor to several private equity, corporate venture capital, venture capital groups, and their portfolio companies. So portfolio companies of Apollo, TPG, Altira, EIC, mm-hmm. Energy Ventures, Texas Ventures, uh, Total's corporate venture capital group, uh, invested in some startups, invested in some funds, before an opportunity with uh, with CSL uh, you know, presented itself and been part of the team since then. And on that note, I also remember uh, working with you guys on WellHub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how much time has passed. Is, is that you know we we had other startups then. So yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, you know, kind of seeing. I think when we met, you were at that point of where you just quit um, the investment banking and you were looking for the next thing. So it's just interesting to see everything kind of come full circle three years later. Um, so you've been really involved in the startup community since. You know, I think Jake had mentioned that you're advisor to a couple of startups. You know, were you doing that uh, prior to joining CSL? Is that where you kind of found your lane? Is that you liked advising these guys on the finance side? No, absolutely. Uh, so. You know, uh, I knew I wanted to kind of be more closer to, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, have the engineering operations background, then the investment banking background. Uh, but to move to the uh, principal investing side, I, I realized, you know, there aren't a lot of opportunities. And the easiest way to make a mark and get noticed or, you know, build relationships is to really get in the weeds, get your hands dirty and start really helping um, uh, all these startups. I mean, the only condition I had with these startups is that I'm not gonna be exclusive. So mm-hmm. uh, in a single day, uh, if I used to start with a company in downtown, afternoon used to go to Katy, 
late afternoon in Sugarland <laughs> and then end my day in Galleria. So the fourth started and I completely loved that immersive experience. You made the full, the full circuit around Houston. Full circuit huh? around. <laughs> uh, so I think that, that uh, f- from a portfolio side, I think the roles were very different across all these different startups. If one of the companies I was he- advising on capital raise strategy, other I was helping on <clears throat> M&A strategy, uh, others on the business development and sales strategy. So, you know, kind of got a good understanding of, of the space, working with different stakeholders. Everyone had a different working style. The the startups were in different spaces. So I think uh, in my current job, I think that 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 has really been helping. Me. It gives you variety, yeah, sure. right? I think that's the cool thing about working with startups. It's the cool thing about what we do here is every time somebody sits in here, it's it's somebody different. It's different stories to tell, Absolutely. you know, and in working with different startups, especially in that capacity, I find extremely interesting because it's never the same thing twice. Yes. Yeah. So let's dive into CSL Ventures. So you guys mentioned that the private equity side had a heavy emphasis and focus on oil field services. Let's talk about the venture side and what the thesis is for that fund. What type of technologies you guys are looking for? You know, are you looking for software? Are you looking for, you know, physical downhole products? So whichever one of you wants to take the lead and kind of tell us what the thesis is for the fund and what you guys are looking for in terms of technology. Absolutely. Let me, let me take the lead and, and it, I don't know if you can, if you can fill in. Um, overall, from a thesis perspective, um, as I mentioned, when we were incubating it, we felt strongly technology had a big role to play in energy. So we are focused on energy or there needs to be an anchor in energy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we are looking at is really technologies from other verticals that we can bring to energy and vice versa. So there's a, I would say broadly speaking, an aspect of energy and industrial as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the thesis is heavily on the software digital side. So we want to look at companies that have, have a minimum viable product, have a few customers, and then time to market is a critical piece for us to give money back and returns to our investors, uh, broadly speaking. So I would say we're, we're looking at building a portfolio of 10 companies, um, out of which I would say 70% of the investments are going to be in the digital arena. Now, people use the term digital pretty broadly, and what we mean by digital is software, Big data, IoT, mm-hmm. analytics, that kind of. Um, and because we're in the physical world, we can't do everything just from software. We also want to make 30% of the portfolio in hardware, technologies, material science, chemistry. And we're using the term energy broadly. So we want to look at energy storage and, and grid grids as well. Yeah. Um, now, It's just not oil and gas it's specific. Not just, yeah, it's, it's everything not energy. Yeah. We haven't put renewables into the charter yet because we have to learn how to walk before we off to the races. So we're yeah. not looking at solar and wind. Yeah. And so I would say there's a bias if you look at energy towards oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And we, when we say oil and gas, it can be downhole, it can be surface, it can be midstream, it can be downstream. So we're not constraining ourselves in, in any way or form or shape. Um, and then um, the other aspect which is important for us is an ESG aspect. That doesn't mean that every investment has to have an ESG angle, but that's a lens that we look at carefully as well. So we currently have made five investments. One clearly has a strong environmental aspect, and we're currently sprinting on the sixth opportunity, which has a significant safety aspect. So if, if you make that investment, um, let's say by next month, um, I would say two out of the six investments in the portfolio would have an ESG angle. Yeah, overall. I mean, I don't want to compliment that or something. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, a couple of additional points here. Uh, you know, we consider ourselves as very hands-on. 
so we always want to lead around uh, as much as possible and set the terms, take up a board seat, uh, be very actively involved. Because, you know, uh, unlike on the private equity side, venture capital side, you're literally sitting on the back seat and giving the car keys to the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, so we, we want to be very much involved in helping them grow the business. Uh, the other piece I would like to mention is in terms of our check size, you know, where, where we like to play is, I mean, if you go to our website, it says all the way from C to Series B. Uh, and Series A-ish is where our sweet spot is. Want to be, want to try to be one of the first institutional capitals coming in into a company. Uh, our typical check size on average is around $2 million on the first. And we uh, our rule of thumb is we want to preserve dry capital uh, for follow-on rounds. Because mm-hmm. since we are coming in early, we expect two, if not three more rounds of subsequent follow-on financing. Uh, so these were some of the things. And maybe the last point I'll mention is... Uh, from an overall fund perspective, a lot of these startups, they find our parent private equity portfolio companies as a good uh, you know, uh, deployment ground, mm-hmm. if there's a strategic sense, as well as potential customers. Mm-hmm. So in fact, a couple of our ventures company are have parent private equity portfolio companies as their customers. So there's that strategic semblance between between the two groups. On the yeah. two, so when you're coming in, in, uh, in the instance that you guys are, are coming in for a seed round, you know, we've talked extensively about how traditionally there's been just a lack of early stage capital in oil and gas. Um, how early do you guys come in and what, like, what's the criteria? For yeah, because Imran said that you're typically looking for a company that has, you know, a couple of clients. Are you looking at anything that's pre-revenue or it has to be something that's like, no, you've got a couple of clients and you've, you've proven the product? I think if you look at, I mean, it, I don't think this is a black and white rule. Okay. As a general, if I was if I was to describe our fairway, if I was to use a golfing analogy, I would say it would be some a company or a group of entrepreneurs that have revenue, have a few customers, and have a minimum viable product. And now, would we not invest in a pre-revenue company? I think it has there has to be a compelling case for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. For us to do that. But yeah, I would say a fair way. There's different variables for every situation, yeah. right? Well, this podcast is timely because I actually had a call with a founder this morning and he's got a physical downhole technology and artificial lift. And he called me at nine this morning. He's like, man, he's like, you know, I've listened to Cottonwood Ventures and some of the other podcasts. He's like, but it always seems that the primary focus is on software. He's like, there's not a lot of information out there for physical products. And he's talking to me because he's like, what do I, you know, he's got some angel investors already in the company, but he's looking to do a series a and he's talking to me about valuation he's like you know do you know of any comps how do you triangulate a valuation on a product like this because all i can find in the energy space right now are software companies and i was like you know what i think csl actually invests in in hardware companies and they're coming on the podcast so you know it's timely i'm gonna i'm gonna ask them some questions so send it send it our way (laughs) i knew that was coming to you you make an introduction yeah colin absolutely make it and I'll, i'll i'll give an example we've looked at two uh, ESP companies um, in the last six months um, focused on a technology called permanent magnet motors. And I, I don't know what technology um, mm-hmm. this entrepreneur has. Um, and those are different. I mean, most, I don't know how familiar you are with, with ESP technology, but the traditional ESP motor is an induction motor. Okay. Where, where you're basically putting power down down the ESP and then and, and use, using that. With a permanent magnet motor, essentially you make a more efficient motor, a shorter motor, but then there's complexity because permanent magnets are expensive. 
Uh, yeah. And, and, and if you have anything expensive down hole, you know, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to break for sure. So, <laughs> so, so the challenge is there, but we're absolutely open to, to an introduction. And, yeah. And, and have a yeah. And you know, his point was, it was a good talking point. I really didn't have a lot of answers for him because if we talk about valuations for startups, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more geared towards software and I'm going to tell you, yeah, you know, your series A would be at this. And he's like, how do you, you know, if I'm doing a $5 million raise, what is a fair valuation for hardware? where how what are the differences that you guys see between valuations in a hardware startup and a software a software startup because a hardware is so much more capital intensive right and usually they're gonna have to raise more money but do the valuations in terms of how much equity a founder is selling in a company do they stay about the same or you know can you guys provide any color there on the differences between the two yeah you want to go first? <laughs> sure. And, uh, and then I'll give the right answer. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, so software businesses, as, as you know, uh, you know, we, especially if they have a recurring piece of the, uh, you know, revenue stream, uh, th- these businesses are very highly scalable, scalable once they kind of get traction. Uh, before they achieve cash flow break even, there's a lot of upfront investment that goes into these companies as well. Uh but they, they, they're also very profitable at the end of the day. Um, and these days, uh, what we see is a lot of these software companies are being valued as a revenue multiple, ARR, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or some form fashion of that. Um, we invested in a, I shouldn't be calling it a hardware, it's an IoT business, which has a combination of hardware and software, right? So what we do is, I think valuation, we, we, let's take a step back. We always look at it as more like an art than science. Uh, we always ask what a valuation guidance is, uh, and we, uh, especially in the inner ears, is what we want to base our valuation off of, not five years, 10 years down. So it's very important the way we look at it is current run rate, what the revenue is, and put a particular multiple to it. Now, multiples could vary from company to company, otherwise all the companies would have the same valuation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, there's a lot of art that goes into it. The quality of the management team, uh, you know, it's like a scorecard methodology, right? Uh, The total addressable market that these guys are approaching, uh, you know, the technology moat, the robustness of the sales pipeline. You know, if a company is saying, and from T equal to zero to T equal to 12 months, I'm gonna go from 1 million to 5 million, what is the basis of that? Right. We, we dig deeper into the you know sales pipeline, make customer calls, and see you know through our experiences of of being involved with startups and running PLs, we see how feasible that is uh, you know uh, in the current macro. Now, mm-hmm. if the companies have multiple end markets, that scalability is is much easier. If versus if they're just focused on one uh, one end market, but then again, there's a trade-off between going too broad and being very focused. Mm-hmm. We are on the side of being very laser focused, but if, if if the companies already have customers on the other end markets, it gives us more confidence in putting a premium to their to their valuation. So again, it, it, there's no right or wrong answer. It's it's more artsy than science. Yeah, absolutely. So as to complement a slightly different perspective on that, I think there's a few different things in terms of from a valuation perspective. You're absolutely correct, traditionally speaking, and I'll take some examples outside our industry. So if you go and look at pharma companies, any biotech company, and mm-hmm. you look at this Series A or Series B, what do you think their total capital raise is? Give me a number. 100 million. Exactly. Because yeah. that's what it takes. <laughs> that's what it takes. Yeah. That's what it takes. I mean, when, I look, when you look at a Series A or Series B of a 
biotech company or pharma company or a startup in that healthcare space, they raise a 50 million Series A, 70 million Series A, 100 million Series A, and energy, 5 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, the number you mentioned right now, Colin, is $5 million for the mm-hmm. CSP business. So I think you have to look at what will it take for a company to get to the next milestone. Now, coming back to your valuation question, the, you're absolutely correct. Hardware typically takes more capital in energy. And market adoption is longer. So when you're going in there, you have to make an assessment of saying, how mature is this technology? Is this thing really sussed out? Or is this an idea or concept on paper? And that's why that minimum viable product and those, cust- if, um, if you want, not customers who are pilots, but commercial customers are very important. That's mm-hmm. why that's something that we look at because that time to market adoption in energy and even in clean tech is much longer in the B2B space than in the B2C space. Mm-hmm. The other aspect to look at is, and, and Abhinav is correct, there's no black and white answer on valuations is to say, okay, it's a judgment call to say, how big of a problem are you solving? How big of a market are you going to get to? And what is the potential of this technology to scale as a product? Mm-hmm. Now, all of those factors come in. and We all know software multiples and valuations are higher than hardware. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons you can do that is because once you've developed a software product, whether you sell one license or 100 licenses, the incremental cost is minimal. It's, I mean, from an SG&A perspective, it's your sales channel. Yeah. It's a little bit in terms of making, for lack of a better word, and, and today, in the old days, in, in logging days, you used to get a little CD-ROM to upload your latest mm-hmm. logging software. Well, now you just log it down online, right? You just download it. Yeah. So the cost of service delivery or the cost of the product is minimal. And and therefore, the multiples are much higher. Yeah, with software, you can scale without scaling up your GNA as well. Absolutely. So I think one more point to mention here is, we, we, you know, the industry as a whole becomes very obsessive with valuation. But what is equally important, if not more, is the terms that go into it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, minority protection, right, uh, you know, uh, governance terms, uh, you know, liquidation preferences, mm-hmm. dividends, all these are also, you know, a kind of important. Uh, so we, we look at things in totality rather than just this evaluation, uh, valuation perspective. Yeah, you know, I mean, you have, you know, like in, in this case, a first-time founder, you know, his attorneys are building out a term sheet and he doesn't want to scare off any investors with something, with a valuation that's outlandish, right? And, you know, all of these things are negotiated, but he doesn't want to just come, you know, swinging and, you know, say, oh, my, my company's worth, you know, $100 million. And, you know, so I told him, I said, look, you know, for digital wildcatters, we triangulated our valuation. Uh, we first, you know, me and Jake came up with what we thought it was worth. We talked to one of our investors, asked him what he thought it was the worth. The important then, thing about that was we did it separately and then we came back together. Yeah. And which is very good. Showed, showed our numbers and it happened to be the exact same. Yeah. So, and then, and then same thing from our, one of our investors. Mm-hmm. And then I got a, a comp and I saw what their seed round was and boom, you know, we had three points of references to where we could come to our valuation. And that's what, that's one thing I told him to do. And then, um, also, if anyone's listening, I also recommended that he reads the book Venture Deals. Um, it's a great book. Uh, Abhinav just brought up a great point. You know, 
the, the terms that go into the term sheet of the deal are important, important right? When you're talking think. about, yeah, when you're talking about uh, liquidation preferences and all those things, I spent 10 hours this weekend reading venture deals, you know, just going over our term sheet. So it's a great book. Yeah, it's a great book and it'll give founders a lot of uh, insight if you haven't done it before. Um, but yeah, you know, like even with, he's talking to me and I interface with a lot of startups and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable you know, even giving you a ballpark on what a valuation is. I was like, you know, I know a, another startup that was half software, half hardware, and, you know, they raised $5 million at a $25 million valuation. I said, you know, I figure if you do a $20 million valuation, no one's going to, you know, tell you that you're just out of your mind. So it's interesting to, you know, hear those those nuances between a, a software and a, and a hardware and how you kind of reverse engineer what that valuation should be. And I mean, you guys do it for a living, right? So Absolutely. yeah, I mean, you have founders, I'm sure coming out all the time with just batshit crazy valuations. You know, you're probably, you'll never get that, but you have to be able to support your, your reasoning for why, you know, that valuation isn't, isn't appropriate. I mean, there has to be a logic to it. I, I mean, when an entrepreneur comes and says, okay, I value my company at $100 million or $50 million pre-money valuation, there has to be a logic or a rationale to it. And as long as they can explain it and get us comfortable. And by the way, if any entrepreneur wants to reach out to us from your audience, happy to sit down with them. Yeah. And so this is how we would approach it. This is how we would think about it. And we don't claim to have all the answers. Yeah. So we're happy to collaborate and that's one thing we want to do with entrepreneurs is really collaborate mm-hmm. and we, we don't want to we're not a one-trick pony that that's there for two years and then disappears because at the end of the day you build a reputation a brand in the market yeah and we want to be collaborative and open about i'm really glad glad you brought up that point because that's exactly what i told my friend this morning i said hey i can introduce you to a couple of investment groups and they're more than happy to talk to you and build a i mean a lot of raising a lot of founders don't understand this, but when you take capital, it's a business relationship, right? Absolutely. And keyword being relationship and you build those relationships and you know, you guys are happy to sit down with these companies and develop that relationship. And that allows you to get to know the management team better and, you know, understand everything in better context. So I, I mean, think it's, it's, it's the same thing we tell our investors. If you're giving us capital in our fund, this is a 10 year relationship. Yeah. It's a partnership. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we want to be good custodians of your capital. It's the same way with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. If you invest in a company, we're telling our, our investors our holding period in these companies is going to be five to seven years. Mm-hmm. If you go to a website, that's our typical holding period you would expect. So if you're in with someone for five to seven years, you're going to go through some tough times. And hopefully some good times. That's <laughs> why so we're all doing it, right? For the good times. Tough times are guaranteed. The bad times make you appreciate the good times, though. So. I think there's and, a- it's really the tough times that you really find out who your true friends are, mm-hmm. who your true partners are. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a misconception with a lot of founders, especially first-time founders, that, and I think this stems from just a lot of the activity with investors in Silicon Valley, that venture capitalists are vultures, right? And that you can't go to them and just open kimono and talk candidly about your business without coming prepared to talk about a deal, right? Because they're always posturing to try to get the best valuation. And, and I think they're that couldn't be further from the truth because in our experience of having worked with a ton of different VCs, you're exactly right. It's a, this is a relationship. I mean, I've only been married for seven years and imagine being married to a, you know, a, a 
partner, like you said, for the next seven years of your life, which you're going to be working closely. To, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> you know so that's, that's, you know, a long, long time. So I like what you said, because essentially as a founder, so if you guys are listening and you're not really sure about certain things in your business, for one, you can reach out to us anytime, but reach out to guys like, like these guys and get some free consulting. Cause at the very <laughs> least you're going to walk away and they're going to tell you, Hey, this idea is stupid. So now you're not going to waste a year or two of your life working on something, or maybe you'll get feedback on what should the round be? What should the valuation be? They're at least going to poke holes in it and get you further along than where you were when you walked in there. I, I can't agree more. I think, uh, the reason we are in, we're doing this is because we love interact. The number one reason, if you ask me for doing this is I love meeting and getting to learn the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. The personalities are different. Everyone, uh, you know, is trying to solve a different problem and there's so much optimism and that is, you know, it's difficult to find people with so much optimism, right? And they, they're trying to, I love, you know, when they come and, you know, the confidence that they exuberate in their startups. And as Imran was mentioning, when, when these startups come to us, uh, if they're just looking for capital, uh, we tell them we're probably not the right partner. What we'll give you is the capital. We'll give you our time. We'll sit down with you, understand problems as much as possible, make ourselves available. We'll share our Rolodex, introduce you to the customers, and we'll share our expertise. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. We're looking at a, a startup right now. They are uh, in amidst uh, negotiations with a big, uh, big, you know, kind of uh, distributor. And this is a first-time entrepreneur. He's not dealt with long-term contracts. Now, Imran in his past life was doing that for a living. Yeah. So you know, we, even during the process, we—it's a two-way street. We can also show that you know from the get go we will start adding value and i think that is what entrepreneurs will appreciate mm-hmm. uh, so by all means if if someone wants any help uh, more than happy to do that and i'll give a couple of examples right so there were a couple of companies we looked in our port in, in in our if you want opportunities that came our way and we worked with these companies over a period of time and we decided not to invest in those companies for reason a b c d e mm-hmm. Well, we worked with them, we gave them advice to the level where the entrepreneur said, will you come and be our advisors? And obviously our primary role in life is not to be advisors. So we mm-hmm. said, like, if you have a question, happy to answer them, but we can't be your... Official your, advisor. Your yeah. Advisor. Or, <laughs> like, we'll, we'll just be, we'll be your friend and, and, and help you out. <laughs> well, we want to be... We want to be good with entrepreneurs, right? And if you see them going down a path which we don't think is appropriate, for example, there was one entrepreneur who came to us and said, I'm going to be cash out in, let's say, six months. And we said, look, you better start capital raising now if you're going to be cash out in six months because otherwise it's not the right thing to do for your business. Mm-hmm. You need to be thinking much earlier if you're running out of capital, mm-hmm. unless you're cash flow positive obviously in this case this company wasn't but yeah we're happy to sit down with with people to help them take the right decisions because end of the day entrepreneurs know each other talk to each other it's mm-hmm. out there in the ecosystem and say so these are good good partners and then you'll get unique deal flow because entrepreneurs will trust you i mean there's, there's a there's an angle from our side as well we want to get to talk to entrepreneurs because they trust us yeah and and they want to partner with us rather than with other people out there yeah and and that's something that i think is super important in our in our brand and reputation that we built how yeah. long from the first touch point with, with meeting a new company till the time that you guys write a check on average it can vary from okay we've only been around since august 2019 but i'll give you from my prior life mm-hmm. in, in shlomerji as well 
it can be three years, five years, meaning it's too early. Mm -hmm. So we'll just keep the relationship. I'll tell you an example where we turned down um, an entrepreneur saying, look, we, 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 we think you're too early. We don't think it's the right time for us to come in. But let's keep the relationship and keep the contact and, mm -hmm. and let's move forward. What we would like to do, and, and as a firm, we're still getting our kinks out of the system. I would say today, um, our investment time frame, and I'm going to give you a broad range, is from three months to nine months. We would like to get to that sweet spot of three to four months. But I will tell you, our diligencing is probably, and I would say especially on the technical side, our diligencing is a lot more um, intrusive mm -hmm. than what most entrepreneurs are used to. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. We were, and I think you were on, on several of those meetings, Avinav, where we met with an entrepreneur, probably I would call it seed phase, maybe series A if you want to call it. And we went to two or three technical reviews with this entrepreneur and the entrepreneur said, well, this is great. We would love to continue doing these technical reviews because I think it was a healthy exchange of ideas from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, and we decided not to invest in that business, but we want to keep the relationship. Yeah. So yeah. to answer your question, Jake, three to nine months is the kind of range if mm -hmm. I look at it today. We would like, and I, I'm sure Avina would agree with me on this, <laughs> we would like to move to that three to six month time frame rather than a nine month time yeah, frame. I mean, it's a, it's a great point that you brought up. It's like, hey, sometimes, you know, three to five years where it's just too early. And I mean, even with us at Wallcatters, I'm already talking to media, private equity firms. You know, I have no business with them until five years down the road, but I want to maintain that relationship when it's time to, you know, I look do. for, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, I want, I want to be on their radar that way when it comes time for acquisition, you know, they're, they're, they're already familiar with you know, it. So. It takes a long time to build relationships. And like we said, you're getting in bed together and this is a long-term thing. And so I look at it as the dating process of a lot of entrepreneurs say, yeah, oh, I'm not ready to, like, I know I'm needing to raise capital, but it's, uh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I think that's complete bullshit. I think you need to go out there and start talking to as many people as you can and start court. Cause if you're talking to five different VC groups and they're all offering money. Who's, who's the best fit for, for your organization, Absolutely. right? With, with the additional things that you guys are talking about, the additional value adds, but also I think it's also culturally too, Absolutely. you know, I think because you, you are going to be interfacing daily. Like, is your work style similar? Is, do you guys get along? Like if you Absolutely. just, if you yeah, don't the get same, along yeah, the same vision and everything else and like company. is great, then it's going to be a miserable relationship. Even if you all make money, if the chemistry is in there. Yeah. Jake. It's going to be miserable. Just yeah. like dating. So, guys, think about that. <laughs> think about that. Date your VCs. AJ, you brought up a good point earlier, you know, talking uh, about how you're willing to have conversations with entrepreneurs and founders just because you like talking to them. They're optimistic. You know, they're excited. And it kind of made me realize, like, sometimes I live in this little bubble because I interface with so many entrepreneurs and founders that I just kind of assume everyone's optimistic, right? <laughs> and, you know, everyone's always working to solve a problem. And I think that that's, you know, it's good to hear that from you guys that it's like, well, we, we, we're not just vultures looking to, you know, make, make money on a deal. We are excited to talk to people that are solving problems and kind of helping, you know, doing those, those technical walkthroughs. And I mean, that's deep dive due diligence on a product, right? So I think that founders will actually appreciate that and hearing that and knowing that you guys, you know, aren't just a bunch of assholes that don't want to talk to them. And <laughs> 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 I was always like, oh, don't talk me up too much. But, so guys, uh, before we before we get out of here, um, where can people reach out to CSL Ventures? Um, obviously, CSL has a website. Does Ventures have a tab on there that, to reach out? 
Yes, we do. Uh, there's a Ventures tab on the CSL website. Uh, if you go to cslenergy.com, there's a CSL Ventures uh, you know, tab on that. Uh, you could reach out to uh, you know uh, info at cslenergy.com. Okay. Uh, for for or if you want to personally reach out, it's abhanav at cslenergy.com. And uh, it's Imran at cslenergy.com. Yes. You can send me a message on LinkedIn. I'm sure. Abhinav has a huge, much broader network than me. <laughs> yeah, if you guys need to get a hold of CSL, we'll have uh, we'll have links in the show notes. You can reach out to Jake and Jake and I. We'll make introductions. Um, really great group of guys here. AJ and Ron, appreciate y'all being on the show. You guys, thanks no, for thank you for having us. Then, yeah. for the conversation yeah, and yeah. look forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah, and just last parting comments. Again, congratulations on what you're doing. This is uh, for thank you for being a flag bearer for our Houston or broader energy tech ecosystem. This is very much required in the current day and age. So again, congratulations. Thanks, to man. Jake and appreciate we appreciate you. Cool, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, uh, if you don't know this, we, we keep saying we're going to do video. We, we had a, a lot of major technical difficulties. <laughs> SD cards. So here's a new business idea. Billion-dollar idea. Make SD cards that work. That okay? don't That's all you got to do. That don't erase That's all you got to do. So like we've had these major SD cards. We have like a million SD cards, and they just don't work. So uh, this is actually going to be a video on YouTube as well. So we're going to be firing that back up. So if you want to see the video version, you want to see our faces and expressions, I know you look at being calling enough, but particularly the guest, you get to see them. Uh, go check it out on YouTube, digitalwildcatters.com. Subscribe. Uh, we'll keep you up to date with everything that's coming out. Catch you guys in the next episode. Come, 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 come.